0: a giant conglomerate about to be expanded further by a big acquisition of Precision Cast Parts. Um, And these businesses in your your company operate in about every industry. You had a board of directors meeting in Dallas about ten days ago, and you're entitled to tell why you had it in Dallas what did you tell your directors about the health of the economy as seen by this huge block of businesses
1: yeah well to some extent they tell us too because they're coming we have reports on eight big businesses but the interesting thing about the economy is that you could give almost the same report ever since the fall of 2009 and it really is has been growing is growing at a couple percent a year which is not bad as we might get into later but People have gotten more optimistic at times. They've gotten, they've thought about double dips at times, and then they thought it was accelerating. Our experience has been that certain areas have accelerated a lot, like autos recently. uh, uh, But the overall gain keeps running at about 2% uh, per year, and that's been really quite steady, and that's what we see now.
0: And um, I I assume that you see, um, I mean, how about housing? You've got big investments in housing one way or the other.
1: Uh, Housing's picking up. Uh, Our furniture stores are running at good gains. Our carpet's running at at decent gains. Brick has picked up somewhat, but it's still slow. Uh, But overall, you just see a couple percent. I I think the industrial area has slowed down a little bit. If you look at our cutting tools and that sort of thing, uh, and, and they tend to be on kind of a real-time basis because you don't, nobody loads up on cutting tools on <laughs> thought there's going to be a big speculative <laughs> boom in them or something. They, uh, so uh, we, we just we just keep seeing a couple percent. And, and
0: how, is this disappointing to you? Not the least. Not in the least. No, in the least. You no. think it's you think it's good?
1: Well, let me let me give you a figure. I mean, people do get disappointed in two percent. The population of the United States grows at about eight-tenths of one percent a year. There's about a half a percent from births over deaths, about 3%, three-tenths of a percent from migration. So that's 1.2 percent per capita you're getting if you're getting two percent growth uh, by the time you take off the eight-tenths. You take a generation, and the generation now is much more like 25 years. People have babies later. That means in one generation, you're going to get, not even allowing for compounding, you get 30% gain in real output per capita. Now you start out, the US has $54,000 of GDP per capita. Take 30% more of that, that means another 16,000 per person in real terms in one generation. And if you take 2.7 people in a household, take 2.7 times 16 is 32 plus 11 is $43,000 of household GDP gain in one generation. I mean, it's mind-blowing. Uh, it's, uh, our kids are going to live so much better than we live now. That's not so difficult my family, as my kids will tell you, but uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the gains, I mean, everybody, well, everybody in my neighborhood, I live in a, sort of a normal neighborhood, uh, and everybody in my neighborhood lives better than John D. Rockefeller Sr. lived in the year I was born. And, you know, everybody in this country In two generations, virtually everybody will live better than I live. You know, uh, our country is a marvelous economic machine and people talk about 2% and they think that's kind of discouraging, but it's miraculous what compound interest does over time.
0: Well, you've now done as you've uh, always done in these sessions, uh, you've uh, expressed your faith in the US economy looking out there now, I'm going to re- go back to the stock market here, uh, because I assume there might have been a little conversation at that board of directors meeting about the stock market. Um, and uh, I know you don't like to give um, uh, predictions about the direction of the stock market, but what can you say to us? It's crazy. The, the stock market's been crazy, in a sense. You don't think it's been crazy. No, okay, no. well, right away, <laughs> that's a story.
1: No, no okay. it hasn't moved around that. <laughs> I mean, the stock market, you know... It, The day-to-day movements are not that dramatic, uh, if if you look over history. Uh, And the thing about the stock market, uh, in the 20th century, we had two world wars, a Great Depression, God knows how many recessions, flu epidemics, atomic bomb, you name it. The Dow Jones average went from 66 to 11,400. The stock market does wonderfully over time because American business does wonderfully over time. Uh, I bought my first stock uh, in April of 1942. We were losing the war at that time. I mean, that was four or five months after the war broke out. And the Dow was at 100, you know. The Dow was at whatever it is now, 17,000. I mean, all, all my life I've heard people talk about how terrible things are, and you know, you're hearing it in the political campaign now, you know, mm-hmm. make America great again. America's great now, it's never been greater. And the, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, uh, it, it, I mean, just compare how we're living to 20 years ago. Just think of what the internet does for me. And uh, I'm writing an annual report. I want to get a fact here or there on something uh, uh, or the other. I used to have to go to the library or right away to some government bureau. You know, now I have it in 10 seconds. I, I, it, it, the world is, is changing all the time. For the better and it's it gallops and in one person's lifetime i mean i'm 85 in one person's lifetime real gdp per capita in the united states has gone up six for one i just imagine if you told my my dad in the waiting room you know that your kid is going to see a six for one increase in the average gdp i mean he thought the country had already gone pretty far they discovered the auto and the airplane and Few things. They thought there was nothing left to discover at that time. Right. You know, we've we found it all. <laughs> uh, and that's the way people always seem to feel. But th- this country, uh, there's never been anything like it, and there never mm-hmm. will be, and, and, and we're going to look back 50 years from now or 100 years from now and think this was the dark ages.
0: <laughs> well, let me switch now to a topic where some people would say we have not do not have an improved situation, and others would say we do have. That has the com- combined topic of uh, corporate governance and activists. We, um, we have seen the number of act- activists rise. Uh, I'm, I think you might even start off with the thought that if corporate governance was better, we wouldn't have as many activists. Would that be true?
1: Well, if every company were being managed well, there certainly wouldn't be any reason for activists. There might still be a few, uh, but but uh, there wouldn't be any reason for it. But the truth is that uh, some companies, at some companies, the managers kind of forget who they're really working for and uh, you know, it becomes their own playpen. And at others, managements are sometimes incompetent. Not, not, we're not saying often. And you know, it's the job of a board when that occurs to do something about it, and sometimes they don't. So there's a reason why activism makes sense in certain cases. uh, I don't think the bulk of activism relates that. The bulk of activism just wants a quick hit. They want the stock to go up next week. And at Berkshire, I've always said, we run our company for the shareholders who are going to stay and not the ones who are going to leave. And you know, you can, the finest companies in America, many times are selling at a discount for what they uh, uh, are worth that moment. When I bought the Washington Post Company in 1973, bought stock in it, it was selling at one fifth of what the properties were worth. Cap Cities at the same time was selling at a fifth of what the properties were worth. They were both wonderful companies, but the whole market was depressed. And so anytime a stock is selling below, what could be realized for it is not a reason to go out and sell sell the business. Uh, uh, The activists want that to happen, and of course they've attracted far more money uh, for management, so what was a relatively small little industry ten years ago has become a big business now. And do you know they're like sharks? They got to keep swimming, and, and uh, so as they attract more money, they have to they have to go after things, and they stretch for targets. And, and you know you're seeing that. But there is a place for them in America. I mean, all American businesses are not being run in the interest of their shareholders with really capable management. And, When that happens, change is needed, and sometimes boards do it, but other times they don't.
0: Um, What is your own personal appetite for joining with the activists? Well, it's zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I, uh, it, it, uh, uh, I I don't, my my partner Charlie Munger told me 50 years ago, he says, if you want to guarantee yourself a life of misery, Marry somebody with the idea of changing them. He said, you will you will be miserable the rest of you. So I'm not really interested in getting into that. I, it, it's so much easier just to buy in with a bunch of people that are wonderful people doing it, you know, uh, that that have a common goal and, and join in the spirit of the whole organization. Right. So, so uh, you know, I'm just not looking for that kind of trouble.
0: And just to fill out that uh, thought of Charlie Munger's there, didn't he also say that if you want to have a
1: happy marriage, be sure to go in with... No, he said, if you want to have a marriage that will last. last. he That's said. Right. If, if, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, not necessarily a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> and okay. But he said, just one that will last. He said, what equality do you look for in a spouse? Do you look for beauty? Do you look for brains? Do you look for character? Do you look for honesty? Do you look for humor? No, no, no. If you want a marriage that will last... Look for someone with low expectations. (laughs) He's a very practical guy.
0: (laughs) Now, a year ago, uh, you made news at this conference uh, by saying that Hillary would run for president and furthermore that she would win. Uh, Since then, a lot of water has gone over the dam, or maybe I should say a lot of emails have been stored in the server. Gone over the server, yeah. Some some server, at least. What are your up-to-date thoughts about Hillary's prospects?
1: I think she is by far the most likely person to get the Democratic nomination. I think she is the most likely person to be president of the United States. And, uh, uh, no, I, I think that... And actually, I saw some odds that, uh, that were presented a day or two ago on, on the uh, probabilities. Uh, and oh, you,
0: what were they? Well,
1: she, I think she was four to five, which was considerably better than anybody else uh-huh. uh, on becoming president. I know, I think she is the most likely person to become president. It's still a long ways off, but, but and you could have illness and you could have all kinds of things happen. Uh-huh. But, but, but uh, she's the most likely. The Democrats are most likely to win if they get turnout. Uh I mean, in in 2012, they did a a much better job than they had historically in bringing out their base. And if they remember the lessons of that, and maybe use the same people, uh, the demographics keep moving in their direction. Uh, Uh Uh So, you know, they're they're probably at least, at least a half a percentage point better, maybe even a full percentage point, and that's a lot in elections better off just in terms of demographics than they were four years ago. Uh, But they do have a a good many of their base have a low propensity to vote. And so you need an organization that that makes sure you get your share of the vote out.
0: Um, Well, and how about the email controversy? Do you think that could maybe have been handled a little bit better?
1: Yeah, it could have been handled better,
0: Uh yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) OK. Well, by the way, I guess during this uh, election season, you have been, really been, um, had your time consumed by the fact that you're buying this big uh, company, uh, Precision Cast Parts. Have you really been bearing down on that, talking to the CEO and so forth?
1: Well, it's a big acquisition for us. It's $32 billion. I met the CEO on July 1st. I met him for about 10 or 15 minutes. He actually was coming in to visit a fellow in our office who owned stock as part of his portfolio, so I happened to be there; that was accidental, and I thought I'd drop in and just see what this guy looked like. Uh, and so I, I was there for the last ten or fifteen minutes. And when he left, it just I could, I could tell that this fellow would be uh, able to run his business a lot better if he were a private or under the under the wing of Berkshire. So I said to uh, uh, Todd, who would. Been in the uh, the reason for the visit. I said, uh, "Why don't we give him a call?" It was right afterwards, and uh, say if he would like an offer from us, we would make one, but we wouldn't make it unless uh, if, if he had any objection to it. And so we called him, and uh, uh, he checked with his board, and he said, "Fine, make us, uh, We're willing to listen to an offer." So I'd met him at maybe ten minutes at that time. Then he came up to Sun Valley, where I was at the Allen Company thing. I met him for about 15 minutes there. This fellow gets to the point very quickly. It's hard to make the conversation last. Uh, So so I made him an offer. Uh, He said he'd take it to his board, and he got back in touch with me a little later, and he said there were a couple members of the board that thought it was worth um, more, and I said that was interesting. but <laughs> you know we don't go up on price, uh, so we made a deal in any event. I, I probably met this man who was an outstanding manager. He's, a, he's just our kind of guy. Mark Donagans his name, and uh, I probably met him maybe a total of 80 minutes now or so. I mean, I really we didn't get one piece of information. Uh-huh. We we do know due diligence. Uh-huh. You know, my uh-huh. due diligence is to look into their eyes basically, and uh, <laughs> oh. We, we do no due diligence we, we do not we did not have a figure that was not public. Uh, the one thing I ask him is I ask him if, assuming we treat you right, uh, do you have any intention of retiring at sixty five you know and because uh, i 'm totally dependent on him he doesn 't need me I need him and and so i I really have to know that I, I usually have a judgment about that anyway, just from just talking to talking. him you yeah. i 'm just actually uh, we own a company called Garen. Have you ever heard of Garanimals? Those of you who have young kids. Uh, uh, the uh, the CEO of that company, which we bought, we bought it in 2002. He was 76 then. Uh, he's going to be 90 on March 16th. And uh, uh, I will guarantee you that he has not had a thought of retiring this fall. Uh, and I know you feel good about that. Well, I, I like that kind of guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, my... My thoughts on retiring are sort of a moving target. Yeah, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, Charlie's ninety-one; he'll be ninety-two on January first, and he's my canary in the coal mine. You know, it's so. <laughs> like.
0: Well, I must say that people keep saying to me now, "What can you tell us about the next CEO of, of Berkshire?" And my first answer to them is, "Have you thought about the timing?" I said, "You've got to have." You've got to have a timing in mind. If you were to d- pick somebody right now, it might be X. But if it's 10 years from now, and I personally believe that Warren will be um, CEO then, unless he has physically or mentally declined, which I don't see any sign of, I said 10 years from now that other guy might be completely worn out. Is, is, is pretty you got cool? to,
1: to write a story on that.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm writing it in, in effect here by uh, telling that. Well, now I want to come back to politics. Um, the Republicans. Um, how is this crazy contest for the Republican nomination going to turn out, and is it going to be settled eventually by, by what you and I grew up with, which was uh, conventions at which it was left to be decided at the convention?
1: It could happen. It, you know, it could happen. That uh, back in 1924, I think the Democratic convention went 103 ballots, and. Uh, uh, and the two people who got a combined 80 percent on the first ballot, neither one of them even ended up with the vice presidency. So, really strange things happen at conventions. I don't know if you've ever been to any, but no, I they've changed in somewhat over, in complexion over the years. But this one could change back. I mean, you could somebody could go there with a plurality but not a majority. So it 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 will be. I mean, th- this is something we haven't seen before when you've got three non-politicians with an aggregate of 50% of the vote on the Republican side, and uh, uh, what we're really seeing in government right now, and I think it's manifesting itself a little bit in in these uh, debates and what's happening in the polls now. You know, we've always thought in terms of two-party government, but we now really have three-party government, and we're seeing that in the speaker selection. I mean, you you may have, them only calling themselves Republicans and Democrats, but there's a distinct party now within the Republican Party. And you have three party government and the traditional Republican Party has a plurality but they do not have a majority. And that's something we really haven't come to grips with much in this country. We are not, in terms of culture, in terms of rules, in terms of a whole bunch of things, we have been set up for two-party government, and we don't know how to deal yet with three-party government, and that's accentuated by the fact that in the Senate, you know, they changed the cloture rule in 1975. There wasn't any cloture to speak of before that. So now you can have a majority in the Senate, but you still have a third party, which is the cloture vote, you can call it, needing to get to 60 votes for anything that's important. So we are actually dealing, with a governing situation that before 1975 would not have existed in either house, and and we're struggling with it. And, and to imagine that you can't find anybody who wants to be Speaker of the House, you know, is just startling to me. My dad was in the House of Representatives, I mean, and Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the House, and I mean, he was one powerful guy, and of course the Speaker is number three in line to be President, too. So it's a, it's, it's really, you're witnessing, Sort of a uh, a quiet revolution in terms of of, of how America will be governed, and, and we may go back to the old system. We may find a way to, that that we can get it back to two parties, but it is not a two-party system now.
0: And do you have any anticipation of how it's going to turn out?
1: No, I don't, because you have you don't have uh, uh, three parties that are going to cooperate with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean. It, 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 their differences are not really very negotiable. Now, it, 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 it's a great spectator sport. I wouldn't want to be a participant, but uh-huh. I, I like it as a spectator sport. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is going to be my last, last last question. We're going to turn to questions from the audience. So you could be trying to attract the attention of somebody with a microphone. Um, in the vastly decentralized operation that is Berkshire Hath- Hathaway what happens when you have a subsidiary being run by a ceo not up to the job how do you get that person out of there and how much of a personal part do you play in in the action
1: well if you have 80 or so subsidiaries they really all report to me you know basically and and uh our batting average has been good about getting people, and of course we don't get rid of them at 65. So I, I, right. I milk people for all their worth. Right. I mean, I, <laughs> I know when when you hit the junk heap at Berkshire, you're ready for the junk heap. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> uh, so we, I mean, Seymour is very safe in his job at 90. When he, I mean, I, you know, I will. Uh, uh, so. But occasionally, we need somebody uh, different. Sometimes they just aren't up to the job. Sometimes, actually, age is a factor. And and that's very tough when age is a factor, because since we have no retirement age, when I go to see someone that's been a friend for decades and done all kinds of things for me, uh, I can't go and say, well, you know, we have this mandatory retirement age of 70 or something, and I'm sorry, I know you'd be good for another 20 years. It isn't true. You know, I, I have to say, you aren't what you were before. I don't say it that way, but that, that's the message I'm delivering. I hate that. And so I always do it too late. I procrastinate. And I say, well, you know, we got 80 companies, of 79 are running okay, you know, we can handle that. I, I, I come up with any damn thing I need to, you know, to avoid the uh, the unpleasantness. But I, I do it myself. And it's usually not as bad as I think it's going to be, but, but uh, it's, the job is mine of making changes in management. And uh, uh, it's, I, I would give a lot to not have that job, but there really isn't anyone I can turn it over to. But uh, we had one company uh, run by a guy that Charlie and I both loved. I mean, the guy was just wonderful. We didn't see him very often. We don't, one of our managers I haven't seen for 10 years. Uh, uh, <laughs> There's, he made me go on, there's probably some guy just saying, what little figures should we send Buffett this month? You know, or, <laughs> but we had this one guy, and, and he was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy, done all kinds of things for me and Charlie. And he developed Alzheimer's, and uh, uh, we saw him very infrequently. And I think he sort of got himself up for the event, if he would see it. So, so he really ran this company with Alzheimer's for, for a couple of years. And uh, finally it became obvious. And Uh, But I really thought that was a pretty good test, that you should buy companies that are good enough so that a guy with Alzheimer's can run them, you know. I mean, it's a a new yardstick we have at Berkshire. (laughs) I I hope they fly it with a CEO someday, you know. (laughs) I'm talking up this new yardstick.
0: Now, ready for our first uh, question from the audience? Uh, Over here, I think we got Good morning, Warren and Carol. Thank you very much. Could you tell us who you are? Hi, Kate Gutman from UPS. And uh, I was curious, we spoke a bit about activists, and I wanted to get your opinion and maybe insight on what appears to be targeting of female-run companies by activists and what we in this room can do to combat that, um, because some very good efforts have been made, especially in the DuPont case, yet uh, it seems like sometimes the odds are stacked again. So I'd, I'd love to get your insight on that.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know uh, that I, uh, what the statistics would be on that, but what the activists are really, they're after publicity, they're after results to some extent, and they're, a, they're after attracting more money. I mean, these guys get paid very often on something that's a fee based on both assets management assets managed, and performance. And if you can get 20 billion under management and you charge two and 20, the 20 really doesn't get to be that important. The two is $400 million a year. I mean, so attracting money is enormously important to anybody in the investment business. And different styles become popular from time to time. And and as soon as they do, people rush in to say, that's my style, so that they'll attract management. Carol and I had a friend that described Wall Street in terms of the way it operates as having the innovators, the imitators, and the swarming (laughs) incompetence. And essentially that's the way money attraction is. I mean, you know, hedge funds started out, they really didn't start out with A.W. Jones, but Carol made them famous for starting out with A.W. Jones. And and once it was, when people start assuming good results are attracted with a form as opposed to the ability of the person running it. But they think the form itself will create wonderful results. Everybody's going to take that form. And in the last couple of years, a lot of, a lot of forms have disappointed. And when hedge funds have disappointed. And, and so as forms disappoint, money runs around and investment people run around promoting uh, some other form and it it becomes the flavor of the day because there's a lot of money out there and they're willing to pay a lot of very high fees for the promise of performance. And you don't really have to ever particularly deliver. I mean, just the promise will last long enough to get you rich and your children rich and your grandchildren rich. So, uh, it's nice if you perform on top of that right now, particularly in the last, I'd say two years, Activism is a saleable form, and therefore it gets sold. And Wall Street sells it. Uh, I don't know whether there's been a picking on of, of female-run businesses, but I would say there certainly has been a picking on of really pretty decent and well-managed businesses because they run out of the other kind. You know, I mean, there's, there's, only, there's only so many that are being mismanaged, and and. Uh, that doesn 't stop the people that have now hundreds of billions of dollars to invest in the form. so i you know i 've had one or two friends that have called me about about an activist uh, surfacing, and I, I tell them uh, uh, just say you're going to basically you 're going to run the company for the shareholders are going to stay in rather than the one that 's going to get out uh, and, and then and, and mean it and follow it and don 't try and do something that some little wrinkle here or there to supposedly satisfy him because it isn't going to satisfy him anyway. And then I say, if you finally get desperate, send them over to Berkshire. I said we love activists at Berkshire. It's just fun to joust with them and everything. And they're they're, they're not going to get they're not going to get any place. And and uh, so uh, so maybe you know maybe we could be sort of a rest home for activists and then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I, uh, and of course. To go one step further, it's in Wall Street's interest to scare managements about activists. I mean, you've got both investment bankers and law firms that, you know, they're not dying to have an activist call on your door, but it doesn't cause them to break out in tears either because you you take them on and then they get all involved in the strategy, and it's, it's their job to some extent to make you worry more than you probably should even worry. I mean, it, it's a... It's a commercial world out there in case you haven't noticed it and uh uh there are a lot of companies that i hear about that are paying significant amounts to people to sort of strategize as to how to keep activists away the best way to have keep activists away is to perform reasonably well in your business and also to communicate well with your shareholders i mean in the end you've got a bunch of owners out there and on they're going to be on your side, after all, they've got their money with you. Uh, but they, uh, they should be treated as partners, and that's one thing we've always done at Berkshire and always will do, and I think I – think, uh, well, I'll give you one illustration. We had a vote a year ago. Somebody put on the ballot that Berkshire should pay a dividend. They were kind of nasty about it. They said, you know, well, Warren doesn't need one, but, but the rest of us do, so why don't we vote to have a dividend? And, which was fine with us, so we put it on, and we did not campaign. And with over a million shareholders, our shareholders voted 47 to one, 47 to one, against paying a dividend. Now that only comes through years of communication and explaining to to them why dividends really don't make sense in our case at this time. And, uh, you know, the shareholders will be on your side, but you shouldn't expect them to only be on your side when you're in trouble. I mean, you want to keep communicating. You really have to have a partnership attitude. And if you have a partnership attitude, I think it gets through to the shareholders.
0: Okay, another question. Over here. Over here. Linda. Good morning, Warren. Linda Addison, Norton Rose Fulbright. Last year, Carol Loomis retired from Fortune after 60 years and had to explain and defend her decision to retire. She sure did to (laughs) me. Well, and that was what I was going to ask you. You have some very unique and refreshing views on retirement. Did you give Carol any advice and did she take it?
1: Well, those are two different questions. (laughs) Now, bear in mind that she gives me advice that I don't take, too. So it's perfectly understandable that she would exercise similar rights. Uh, The, uh, well, I think, I think it's a terrible mistake if you're in the kind of business where you can do it. I think it's 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 crazy. It'd be crazy for me to to leave my job, assuming I can do it. I mean, if I quit today, you know, I see these people. They 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 spend a whole week planning their haircut. You know, I mean, it's it, 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 that is not my idea of, of living. You know, and and uh, I am fortunately in a business. You know. My 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 muscles are gone. My balance is gone. My my stamina is gone. But it doesn't make any difference in what I do. So I'm I'm very lucky that way. You know, as a I was, if I'd instead been a professional heavyweight boxer, which was my alternate choice, uh, <laughs> you know, they, it, it would have been a whole different game. But this game, it it really doesn't make. Any difference. I I don't understand. I, I I tell the students when they come to see me, I've got 40. I got a, a Eight schools this Friday, coming of 160 students, and I tell them take the job that you would take if you didn't need a job, and that's what I've got. I mean, and, and you want to you want to be doing something you would do if you didn't need the money, and 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 you know most people do need the money, but if you're in the position where you don't, you should be doing what you would do if you didn't need the money, and and I would rather do this than anything in the world. I'm having fun. I mean, I don't. I, my social security check is coming every month. I mean, I do not need this, <laughs> the, but I, I, I can, I do, t- Carol wrote the book, Tap Dancing to Work. I tap dance to work and she knows I do and, and you know, there's nothing more exciting than to, to get there and, and find that some company you weren't even thinking about a week ago that you might buy for $32 billion and be in making aircraft parts and the, it, it just doesn't get any better than that.
0: I'm not sure you answered her question
1: about you. Well, I, I, I just I talked it through with Carol, and I want to make sure that she'd had a chance to, you know, hear all the arguments pro and con. But, but the thing about what she's done, too, she can write if she wants to. I mean, she didn't it was not that they took away her pen and pencil from her, you know and so, so if she wants to write, she can write, and she can write. On subjects she wants to write on, and she can probably get them published anyplace. So, uh, writing is hard work, though. And, it's,
0: and it's, I still have the editing of the annual report. No, so.
1: she—that's ed- true. She edits the annual report. So she just correcting my errors probably takes six months of the year. <laughs> you
0: know? And the other half, other six, I try to think. Well, why didn't I convince him? Isn't that right?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> it, it. I can see where. It, It might be more fun, assuming you want to keep writing even, uh, to start picking your own subjects at a point. I mean, you had a great latitude in doing that at Fortune, of course, but but, uh, uh, she had a very, very good job. If I didn't have the job I had, I would have liked her job. And
0: (laughs) And hmm. vice versa, I must say. Yeah, well,
1: Well, hers paid better, actually.
0: (laughs) OK, another question? Over here? Over here? Oh, we're over there in the back. Warren, I am Joanne Bradford. I'm the COO of a company called Social Finance, SoFi, and um, we work in Silicon Valley in fintech. Um, and I'm interested to see what you have to say about all the unicorns in Silicon Valley and if you will ever participate in things like Uber, Airbnb, um, and there's a lot of discussion about, out there about the bubbles coming, the bubbles not coming, the VCs pitting against each other, and I just wanted to see what your what your take on that is. Yeah. And then for a bonus round, what would you do about the Syrian
1: refugee crisis? Because I think it's <laughs> yeah. important. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna filibuster to the first. <laughs> the uh, we we have never, that I can think of, uh, bought into startups or anything of the sort. The. Uh, uh, we love the fact they're occurring. We recommended Airbnb, for example, for our shareholders at the meeting this year just because the hotels were pushing so hard on price. So uh, I love what they're coming up with. Uh, but I don't bring anything to that game at all. I mean, uh, and, and the valuations tend to be, uh, you know, nosebleed by our standards. Uh, I want to buy very big, very solid businesses that I know will be around for 50 or 100 years. And uh, buy them at a reasonable price, have a manager to run them, and then just you know go back to drinking Coca-Cola and you know <laughs> and eating some peanuts or whatever it may be. So I I have no ambition to be uh, some venture capitalist you know who's getting promoted on something that I wouldn't fully understand and and with the whole idea of a series of offerings all at higher prices and consecutive rings of offering. That, it's just a game that, that, that doesn't appeal to me, but it's where a, a tremendous number of interesting things are going to come from. I would, I would, uh, I would not be particularly good at that. Uh, 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 I see Jenny here. The, the, uh, Tom Watson one time said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm no genius, but I'm smart at spots and I stay around those spots. And so both Charlie and I try to stick with things that we feel we understand. We feel we understand this fellow with the, uh, you know, with the airplane parts businesses. And we've been around enough so that, that there's a high probability we're right, it's not a certainty. But when you get an Airbnb or Uber, you know, maybe you go into Lyft instead of Uber, and uh, I, I don't bring anything to that game that hundreds of thousands of other people might uh, bring more to the game uh, with. Uh, uh, the Syrian thing, I—I I, I don't really have a, a good answer on that. For one thing, I don't have all the facts by a long shot. But I—I uh, 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 I, I, I do not want to tackle foreign policy. <laughs> I'll, I'll take domestic policy—not <laughs> but foreign.
0: <laughs> and on that, I believe we have to quit because we're okay. out of time. Um, and Warren, as usual, we really thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. And fun. Thank you.